0: Well, good morning, Christ City. Let's read our text together this morning from Titus 1, verses 5 to 9, and then let's pray together. Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable a lover of good self-controlled upright holy and disciplined he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it would you join me in prayer father we thank you for this morning This morning where we are gathered as your church, as scattered throughout this city and beyond. And we ask that now by your spirit you would unite us, be present with us, that we might hear your word, but oh Lord, that we might obey your word, that we may live into the truth of your word, to the glory of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, in his book on elders in the church, Pastor Jeremy René, he traces a history of shepherding and pastoring and really discipleship. And it begins, he says, for us with Jesus, with Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time with his flock, the apostles, a lot of it. He's teaching them about the kingdom of heaven, correcting and rebuking them when they went off course, sending them out to practice and do all that he had been teaching them. And after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, he appears to these apostles. And before he departs to go into heaven, Jesus gives them a mission. And look at Matthew 28 with me. Go therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the shepherding mantle, if we can say it like that, that Jesus wore, Rene argues, would now be passed on to these disciple-making disciples. Continuing Jesus' ministry, these apostles were now tasked to call more Christ followers, to gather those Christ followers into churches and help them grow up into maturity through teaching and, and, and baptism. And that is exactly what these apostles did. In the decades following the ascension of Jesus, churches sprung up all throughout the Mediterranean basin and beyond as the apostles braved innumerable difficulties to continue the ministry of Jesus, this shepherding ministry. And they didn't just show up in these places and call a church into existence out of nothing. Church exists. No. No. They, like the chief shepherd they learned from, spent time with people, invited people to imitate them as they imitated Christ. They sent others out. The apostles carried on the ministry of Jesus. But as you all know, the apostles have all died. They are now with Christ. Peter, John, and Thomas, they are not with us anymore. Which leads Rene to write in his book and then ask this question after the apostles established these local congregations of disciples, they too passed the mantle of relational maturity minded pastoring, and then he asks this question, to whom did they pass it? Now, maybe the reading from Titus one five to nine gave it away, but his answer to this rhetorical question. To whom did the apostles pass the mantle is to church elders, to church elders. The mantle of shepherding passed from Jesus to the apostles has now passed not to the Pope, not to a single charismatic leader, but to the plurality of elders who lead local church congregations all over the world. It's to church elders that the shepherding mantle has come to rest. And all of this is relevant, is relevant for us today because today we are bringing Heath Mekel before you, the congregation, for affirmation that the Lord is indeed calling Heath to the office of elder. But before we get to Heath and the details of him being put up for affirmation, I really want us to ensure as a church that we have a good grasp of what it means to be an elder of what the Bible says about it, that we understand the order that comes out of church eldering. So typically, as I usually do, here are three points to guide us this morning. First, order in the church. Order in the church. Second, two visions of leadership. And thirdly, and finally, the marks of the man. So if you have your Bibles, Open with me to Titus 1. We're going to read just Titus 1, verse 5 together as we begin this morning and look at order in the church. Read that verse with me. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul says, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Let's set the scene. The apostle Paul is writing to Pastor Titus in Crete, a young man needing guidance in establishing and leading the local church. And what's implied in verse 5 is that having once visited Crete, Paul was not able to finish what he started. And we should ask, what is so important that Paul would feel compelled to now write to Titus? And, And not only to Titus, this letter would no doubt be read throughout the churches in the area. And the answer as to what is so important that Paul writes to Titus, the answer to that question might surprise us. What concerns Paul is that Titus would put what remained into order. Did you see that? And part of bringing the church into order, he'll say immediately afterward, is appointing elders in every town. Now, this sounds strange to us. I know it does. To a generation who prefers organic to organization, spontaneous to systematized, we might struggle to understand Paul's pressing concern. But one of the undeniable truths we encounter as we read through the Bible is that God's Word has a lot to say concerning the details of our faith. Not only what we believe, but how we go about believing and obeying these commands and the Christian life and the vision that Jesus set out for us as the church. Not only the what, but the how. And so, for example, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, we find instructions from Paul that are intended, he says, to promote orderly, uses that word, orderly times of worship when we all come together. In Colossians 2, Paul commends the church in Colossae and in Laodicea for their general, in this Colossians 2 verse 5, their general good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ, he says. Now, this is not to say that there won't be moments of unexpectedness or or spontaneity or, or, or things where we respond in the Spirit in that time that you and I could not anticipate. That's not to say we don't have that. Rather, it's only to say, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, that God is a God not of confusion, but of peace. Not of confusion, but of peace. We could go back even earlier than the New Testament. Remember, in the very beginning, God brought formlessness, chaos, into order, into form. Jesus, as God, looks out at the chaotic, raging sea and says, peace, be still. Chaos turned to order. The giving of local elders, then, is a continuation of the ordering work or the ordering heart of God that he has always been in the business of doing. And to bring this to our present day, to make this applicable for us, I want you to think of a situation where no clear leader has been a parent. Uh, maybe in, in elementary school or in high school, you've been part of a group project before. And, and part of that group project uh, where no one takes charge where no one takes leadership. And so you all end up building Saturn or Pluto for your planetarium, right? You all build the same planet because no one took charge. Or perhaps more seriously, you've been part of a business or an organization where no one thought it was important to ensure a budget was adhered to, and unsurprisingly, you soon encountered financial ruin. God's design for His church is that it would be led and thus brought further into order by elders. And specifically, I want us to notice two aspects of these elders who are to give oversight. First, look at our text. Notice the plural. Titus is not to be the super elder. He is not to appoint himself as the elder overall, but rather he is to establish elders and the shepherding of the church again it's not to fail, fall to one charismatic individual but is to be shared amongst a group there are to be a plurality of these elders if you were to read through acts for example luke's history of the early church you'd encounter elder in the plural no less than 6 times paul uses elder in the plural peter uses elder in the plural James uses elder in the plural. And I'm making a a big deal out of this because God's design for a plurality of elders to exercise oversight and authority in a local church, I believe, is a strong antidote to much of what ails the church today. How many times, not in history, but, but just recently, How many times recently have we encountered a renowned Christian pastor or teacher or leader standing alone at the top of their org chart with no accountability? And are we really surprised then when a scandal is uncovered? When some secret sin is exposed, a secret life made bare? From the Old Testament to the New, the Scriptures point to the wisdom of a plurality of leaders in those who would cast vision. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So notice the plural. Secondly, though, notice that these elders are to be established in every town. If you and I were to walk down Main Street, Antioch, we would not see a Lutheran church on one corner, walk a little further, see a Baptist church on the next corner, still walk a bit further and see an Anglican church down the road. No, we wouldn't see all these different churches. Instead, you would have churches in the New Testament that identified with the geographical region. The New Testament church included all believers in a city. So the church in Ephesus, for example, Or the church in Crete, as Paul writes here. Again, just like it's not one charismatic figure leading with no accountability, the church is not to be shepherded from one centralized location wherein the shepherds do not know the sheep they are called to care for. And and let me explain how this works here at Christ City. As some of you know, we are a network of neighborhood churches. Let me parse that out for us. We are a network of neighborhood churches. First, as a network, as a network, we have the joy of sharing in the resources of currently two other neighborhood churches, from youth ministry to kids ministry to accountants to women's ministry and more. All this is made possible because we are graciously part of this wider network of churches. And I am deeply, deeply thankful for that. And yet, Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church. This means that while we are currently under the interim oversight of the South Vancouver elders, the aim, the goal where we're heading is to, in time, raise up local elders, local overseers to shepherd the flock of East Vancouver, men who live in this community who worship with us on Sunday morning, who are leading community groups, who are leading outreach initiatives in East Vancouver, spending their evenings and weekends on their knees, interceding for you, meeting you because they know you. The vision of a plurality of elders in every congregation of believers is one of the primary means Jesus gives us to bring order to the church. But let's face it. Let's face it, order and structure count for very little if the character of the men, if the character of the elders is lacking. This is point two, two visions of leadership. Look at Titus 1, 6 to 9 with me. Paul continues to write about these elders He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul is now proceeding to give Titus instructions for the kind of men he is to appoint as elders in every town. And before we look at these qualifications individually, which I think is important, I want us to take a step back. I want us to take a step back and see the bigger vision or heart Of leadership that is being assumed in this text. Because I think you and I come to questions and conversations of leadership with some assumptions, don't we? And this includes as we approach the church. Today, some of us might think of church leadership uh, in these sorts of ways. And I'll put this slide on the screen. We we think of the church like this. The pastor is the president or CEO. The, The staff function in in this sort of corporate model as vice presidents then. The members are shareholders, are loyal customers, and the visitors are potential customers. This comes from uh, Renee's book on eldering. Renee then asked the question, and the elders' role in this model? Well, it's simple. Elders then equal a board of trustees. I think this is the vision that many of us have either implicitly or explicitly about leadership in the church. And in this vision, the pastor does the work, does the labor, that's what they're paid to do, and the elders, one, attend meetings, the elders, two, ensure finances are staying on track, and three, the elders make general recommendations when needed, but otherwise keep their hands fairly clean. In this model, they are generally removed. And what we need to see this morning, Christ City, is that that vision of church leadership, that vision of church eldering is very, 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 I say it one more time, very different from the vision that Paul gives to Titus. In what we've seen so far, notice how involved Paul assumes the elder is in leading. For one, a a list of character requirements presupposes that someone is known. Not just by leadership or other elders, but by the broader church, by the broader community. All of these character requirements are intended to be made by community observation. This is not someone, this elder, is not someone who is aloof. They do not go in and out quickly on Sunday morning, not wanting to talk with anyone. They are known so well, in fact, that the congregation should be able to answer one question about the elder or questions about the elder like... Are they a hothead? Is this person uh, prone to drinking too much? Does this person use their personal finances uh, generously? Graciously? Or are they greedy for gain? The church should be able to answer these types of questions about this person, about this elder. But notice also an elder must be hospitable. If no one in the community has been in the house of this person. Now, granted, I understand we're in COVID, so roll with me here. But if no one in the community has been in the house of this person, that's a problem. Unlike a board member, an elder does not have another life, another existence at home. His home life and his church life are inseparably one. No, elders do not make up our board of trustees. We do not have a board of trustees. They are shepherds who smell like sheep. Not removed from the church, but among the church. Not above, wielding, dominating authority, but below, using their office to serve. Do you see the two competing visions of leadership here in Christ City? One very worldly in nature, the other one radical. Otherworldly. At its heart, the biblical vision rejects that elders are some removed supervising board and that elders are truly pastors. Let me say that again. Elders are pastors. They are shepherds, not removed, but near. And we should ask at this point, where does this bizarre biblical vision come from? And you know, don't you? You know where it comes from. After the Son of God washes the dirty feet of his apostles. Think about that. The Son of God scrubbing dirt off the heels of his apostles, dirt and more off their feet. He looks at his apostles and he says to them, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. When two of his disciples were scheming for power, positions of authority, maybe as board members in Jesus' kingdom, Jesus rebukes them. What does he say? "'You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Listen, Christ city. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave.'" Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, listen, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Of course, the greatest example of this new kind of leadership wasn't in washing of feet or the serving of his disciples. It was in the thing that all those things were pointing to. Listen to how Paul puts it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Listen, Christ said And being found in human form. This is Jesus Christ. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To be an elder is not to keep it to ourselves, it's not to live a comfortable life. It is to lead the church in death. Elders are the first to die. The first to pick up their cross. The first to bear witness to the cruciform way. As one author put it this week, elders bear scars because our Savior bears scars. It is in the way of Jesus. Jesus our self-giving, shepherding Savior, that elders are to walk in the local church. It's not passive. It's not comfortable. It's active, and it's discomfortable. Friends, I don't know what you're going to leave this sermon with, and this is not in my notes, but I hope that you leave with a big vision of what it means to elder in the church. Again, one author wrote this week, I don't want to be an astronaut I don't want to be a superhero, I want to be an elder. This is a glorious vision, a big vision, a sacrificial, Christ-shaped vision. Not only are elders to smell like sheep, they are to look more and more like the shepherd, the chief shepherd. Which brings us to our third and final point today, the marks of the man. Now, I'm sure you've picked up on this by now, but as I've talked about elders, I've been using the word man and men. And this is not, I assure you, because I've failed to consider the woman in our church, but rather, when it comes to the office of elder, the New Testament, in my humble opinion, is clear that it is an office reserved for men. Paul lists as an elder qualification to Titus that he must be the husband of one wife. This does not mean that a single man cannot be an elder. Rather, as many have put it, if he is to be married, he is to be a one-woman man. But considering Paul himself was single, considering he exhorted many of us to singleness elsewhere in his letters, the emphasis here with this sentence, this husband of one wife, is on sexual purity. That's what Paul is talking about here. Elsewhere in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul links the leading of a church to leading a family. Men are to lead. And remember, that the paradigm of leadership here is not this domineering power over authoritarian leadership. It's this sacrificial Jesus paradigm. Men are to lead in that way in both the church and in home, and I can't stress that enough. There are other places we could go. And I'd be happy to have this conversation with you offline because I know for some of you this is a, a real concern rooted in some real hurt in your history. But please, Christ City, hear my heart on this. We are not trying to be more restrictive than the Bible, than God's Word. So while we believe that we see the office of elder reserved for men, by no means does this prohibit women from other forms of leadership in the church Throughout the New Testament, you find women serving as deaconesses, a major office in the New Testament church, a needed office. Throughout the New Testament, you find women acting as major financiers of missionary work. Or I think of Apollos being brought aside by Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla and Aquila together showed Apollos a better way, the hotshot preacher of his day women acting as mentoring guides. We should also recognize that even now, as we turn and look at these qualifications for an elder, they are an appeal to all of us, men and women, those who will occupy the office of elder and those who will not. They are an appeal to all of us for holiness and godliness in this life. Outside of the teaching qualification that ends our text, these are things we should all be striving toward. And so I ask again, what are the marks of the man? Paul writes this, an elder must be above reproach. This does not suggest an elder is perfect, but that his reputation should be in good standing in the community. The importance of this is emphasized as it's mentioned twice in our text, above reproach, above reproach. He is blameless concerning accusations from outsiders. He also must be blameless relationally in his marriage, the husband of one wife. Is he sexually pure? Is he faithful to his spouse if he has one, not mastered by sexual sin? He he must also be blameless in his parenting. His children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. The idea here is not that his children are all saved, all Christians, but that they are faithfully obedient, not wild. We read, Paul write elsewhere, that if a man cannot lead in his home, why do you think he can lead in the church? He must have blameless conduct, Paul continues. He must not be arrogant, concerned solely and largely with himself. He must not be quick-tempered, not lashing out at others. He must not be a drunkard, nor violent, nor greedy for gain. Let me just pause there. Again, every time we come to a vice and virtue list in the Bible, it's a moment of reflection, of consideration for us. We must not be arrogant. We must not be quick-tempered. We must not be drunkards or violent or greedy for gain. Instead, positively, His conduct must be blameless in that he is hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled and upright, holy and disciplined, and uniquely, as someone who exercises a teaching function in the church, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here's what this means. An elder loves the gospel. He loves the gospel. He loves instructing others in the gospel. And he ferociously fends off wolves who would contradict or seek to corrupt that gospel message. Friends, a plurality of elders in every town, this is a means of grace by which order is established in the church. Second, their authority is not to be used like a board of governors, some removed authoritarian power, but as shepherds, they pour themselves out in service to their sheep. And finally, the chief qualifications to be a shepherd have nothing to do with talent or charisma. Let me say that again. The chief qualifications to be a shepherd have nothing to do with talent or charisma, but center around godly character that imitates our Lord Jesus. This is eldering. This is eldering. And so we conclude with this. This morning we are bringing Heath Miko forward for your consideration as an elder of Christ City Church East Vancouver. Heath has spent the last year and a half as an elder in training, sitting in on elder meetings, where we, myself, along with the South Vancouver elders who oversee us in this interim period, have had a chance to get to know Heath, to observe his character, not just in these meetings, of course, but as we lived with him and served with him. And unanimously, unanimously, we have agreed that Heath is the kind of man described in Titus 1, and elsewhere. But we do not make these decisions on our own. We don't. Today, I am bringing Heath forward on behalf of the overseeing elders for your affirmation as a congregation. Now, you don't have to make that decision today. In fact, you cannot make that decision today. Rather, in two weeks' time, we will ask you to cast a vote electronically to either affirm or not affirm Heath as an elder. And while all of us will be permitted to vote, all of us will be permitted to vote, only the votes of members will be counted towards Heath's affirmation or not. And I'd encourage you, Christ City, in the coming weeks, if you don't know Heath already, and many of you do, in fact, I would say perhaps all of you do, if you don't know Heath already, sit down with him, get to know him, hear his heart, To that end, here's a brief video of Heath speaking about his call to the office of elder.
1: Good morning, Christ City. My name is Heath Meikle, and I've been on staff at uh, Christ City East Van for two years as a church planting apprentice. I have been married, ironically, for almost 25 years to my wife, Mariko, and we have two children together, Chiara and Darius. Chiara is married and living in Winnipeg and working at a Bible school there. Now, Many of you know that I cannot articulate anything without either telling a story or, you know, a pack of crayons and drawing on the wall. So in order to explain who am I, in order to explain a little bit of my story and why I want to be an elder at Christ City Church, of course, I need to tell you a story. I grew up in a loving Christian home, and I can still picture the bedroom with my mother when I was about five years old, when I knew I needed Jesus inside my heart. I recognized I was sitting on the bed, and, and I was in tears, and I needed I needed Jesus to come and save me. When I was nine years old, I was sitting at the church, and I was listening to this missionary. He was speaking about the jungle and the bugs and, and the snakes, and I was absolutely captivated. I knew, I knew at that moment that I had to be a missionary one day. I spent my teenage years honing my post-apocalyptic skill set, thinking that I was going to head to the jungle. and I mean, some sort of like Gen X David Livingston, as if, you know, you know, winter camping in minus 20 is really going to help you in the jungle. But whatever, you know, I was 20. After graduating high school, I attended a Bible school. And in the second semester, this fourth year student came up to me and she said to me this question. She asked me this. She says, Heath, have you ever considered pastoral ministry? And in my mind, I'm like, not a chance. <laughs> I'm going to the jungle. I got to be a missionary. You see, I had two uncles that were pastors. And my dad was a lay worship pastor. But he's also the chairman of the board of our local church. And I saw all the horrible things that happened in pastoral ministry. The, the backroom meetings, the, the difficult decisions that you have to make. And I'm like, not a chance. I want to go tell people about Jesus. I do not want to spend all my time arguing about church politics. So I laughed at her and I said, yeah, no, not in my lifetime. And then she said to me something that I will never forget. She says, Heath, you will never be happy unless you're a pastor. Then she turned around and walked away. I haven't seen her since. That arrow went straight to my heart and it stayed there for 25 years. And it's true. I have been a successful electrician. I have gone overseas. I've been a missionary. I've preached the gospel to Muslim refugees. I've helped plant churches. I've helped plant a church in one of the most difficult areas in Europe. And that nagging still is there. And it's I'm gripped with this singular reality that my happiness, my joy, if I can put it that way, is complete when I'm obedient, lifting Jesus high, not only to unreached people, but in the context of pastoral ministry. So it is this reason that I desire to be an elder at Christ City Church. It's my desire to to point you to Jesus, to lift Jesus high, to serve you, to lead you into greater obedience so that we can journey together, that we can journey despite whatever difficulties come our way, whatever hardships come. I want to be an elder so that our joy can be complete together in Jesus.